Hey everybody, it's Sats here. I uh, just wanted to give you guys a peek behind the curtain of what happened today before we start the episode. Uh, so we recorded a Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty trade podcast. And right as we had finished recording that podcast, the Rasmus Sandin trade came through. So we kept the first section and then we recorded a whole new Sandin trade reaction part. Uh, but then, as everybody probably knows by now, the Luke Shen and Pierre Engvall trades came through and kind of changed our outlooks on the Sandine trade a little bit. Uh, so we re-recorded that part. That's at the end. So we talked about the Sandine trade, the Engvall trade, the Shen trade, um, all of those for the last 20, 25 minutes of the podcast. Uh, the first half of the podcast is purely about the McCabe and Lafferty additions. So definitely check that out. It's still very relevant. The Shen trade didn't affect it too, too much other than maybe um, Shen playing with Riley a little bit more than, than Hallwood or, or whatever it might be, but still very relevant. So uh, check that out. If you just do want to come and listen to the reactions of today's trades, just fast forward to about the 40-minute mark, and you should find them there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. Love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine, joined as always by Noah Banks. Hey, what's going on, guys? And today we are here to break down yet another great trade by Kyle Dubas, at least in my opinion. Uh, the Leafs acquired yesterday from the Chicago Blackhawks, Jake McCabe, at $2 million, so half retained for two more years, top four defensemen. Uh, and they also acquired Sam Lafferty, a bottom six winger, who has this year and next year at $1.15 million, I believe. Um, and they also got two conditional fifth rounders in exchange for not Matthew Nyes, in exchange for the 2025 first round pick, top 10 protected, a 2026 second Joey Anderson and Pavel Gogolev. So Noah, I'll throw it to you. What are your instant reactions on this trade? Oh, I love this trade. Like they, uh, again, just like with last trade, they haven't given up a single roster player. They haven't touched their prospect pool and they go out and they fill the exact hole with the exact type of player we needed. And they got salary retention for two and a half years. Absolute Kyle Dubas masterclass. Yeah, like we go into the deadline thinking, okay, the, the biggest areas we'd like to add is probably a top six winger or a, uh, a top four defenseman. We're kind of debating all, all along like, ooh, which one are we going to get? Kyle Dubas says, no, boys, I got you. We'll get both. And on top of that, I'm also going to get two bottom six studs for you without giving up, like you said, any of our top prospects. Matt Nyes is still here. Didn't trade Sandine. Um, only gave up two first. Like we, we still have 2024. And we know in all likelihood those picks are going to be in the bottom half. And, and especially this year's, it's going to be, you know, bottom six or seven most likely. So, yeah, it's it's hard to do anything but love this trade. And, and you make a good point. I think the biggest part about this is that we got Jake McCabe, a top four defenseman, for two more years after this one at $2 million. That is insane value. Yeah, no, I'm just such a huge fan of this deal. Like, um, again, that $2 million retained is so crucial to the deal. Like you basically now have Jake McCabe and Calais Arncroke under the cap for what it would normally cost to have a player at Jake McCabe's level. So it's just like, it's a small little thing, but it adds so much to this team, especially if the cap is supposed to jump in the next like two years, which like everyone's saying it's going to, I'll see it when I believe, I'll believe it when I see it. But again, you know, like you've been saying, get a top four defenseman under contract. I really thought we were going to be on here talking about, oh yeah, we got Luke Shen and like Nick Benino and we'd be crying about it. But this has just been a masterclass. This is Dubas's deadline 100%. Yeah. And you look at the the deadline, like all the teams around the league making moves, New Jersey getting Meyer, uh, New York just traded for Patrick Kane. They already got Tarasenko, Boston getting Orlov and Hathaway, the Islanders for some reason trading their pick to get Bo Horvat and give him way too much money. Like you look at all these deals, it's hard to say that anybody has even come close to Kyle Dubas in terms of how good his deadline has been. Yeah, he adds four players at pretty reasonable cap hits. Like he has Ryan O'Reilly for under $2 million, McCabe at $2 million. Like everything's under the cap. He's added four players. He's made his entire bottom six infinitely better. And he's added on the 
position that he needed on D to push everybody down the lineup. Like, it's just, I, I look at what he's done and I just, I like, it gets me so excited and amped up for the playoffs. I'm looking, I'm trying to, I've been talking with a couple buddies of mine. I'm trying to find out where the holes are in this roster. Uh, I have no idea how the lines are going to be configured. You could conceivably run 10 different, totally uh, different scenarios and still be confident. This is just, it's such a great group and I feel so well-rounded about it. Like it's just, it's really set up nicely for this year and in the coming years as well with the term. Yeah, it's almost impossible to guess what the line combos will be, what the D pairings will be. Like Sheldon Keefe has infinite choices to choose from. Like he's got, he's got so many different options. And I just love this team because it kind of gives us more of an identity now too. Like we can beat a team any type of way. Like if you want to play a 2-1 game, we have Ryan O'Reilly. We have... Mitch Marner, who's an excellent defensive player. We have, uh, you know, Brody, Giordano. We got McCabe now. Like, we could play a defensive game. If we're playing against a run-and-gun team, we obviously have the weapons that can keep up with that. Like, it's hard to see how any team is going to kind of choose a style and pick a weakness like they have in past years and exploit that. Like, we have the depth scoring now. We have so much depth on defense. Like, Rasmus Sandin is probably our seventh defenseman right now, and... If you look around the league, he's he's got to be the best number seven D in the league. Like the depth that he has built, I'm going to go as far as to say that the Leafs have the best roster in the NHL right now. I think that's hard to dispute. You know, like the best 23, 24, 25 man roster where you can look at it with the depth that they have. They're built to go four rounds deep. You could you could see a scenario where, oh yeah, you lose a defenseman on injury. Okay, well, Sandine plug and play. Uh, you get a forward down. They've got the kind of guys, the versatility that could go up and down the lineup now played a bunch of different roles, you know, oh, you lose the center. Well, okay, well, we're going to put playoff MVP Ryan O'Reilly into our top six or switch him over from the, uh, switch him up. And like, just, there's so many different um, ideas you could go with. Just so much versatility throughout the lineup. Halfway through a game, you could completely 180 what you're doing and go something completely different. Coaches are going to be guessing. Nobody's going to be able to prepare for this team. They got better at every single aspect, penalty kill, power play, five on five, bottom six, top six. This whole team is just taking a massive leap forward. And all I can think about now is bring Tampa on. I'm ready. Bring them on. And I definitely want to get into comparing the two teams. Um, and before we do that, I'm just going to give a quick little bit of background on McCabe. For anybody who might not know, you know, he's 29 years old. He's playing about 20 minutes a night for Chicago. Top four role, playing really tough competition each and every night. And if you look at all the fancy stats graphs that, that Noah and I have in our uh, Google document here, He's a, he's a stud by every metric. If you look at evolving hockey, he's in, he's a 71st percentile defenseman. If you look at Jay Fresh, he's an 85th percentile defenseman. If you look at Andy and Rono, he's at 92nd percentile. Like nothing has him outside of the top 30% of NHL defensemen. And a lot of things have him, you know, ranked as an even better guy. I know the athletic has him ranked at about worth 5 million this year. So we are adding an absolute, maybe not an absolute stud, but a definite good replacement for Jake Muzzin. And we looked at that matchup with Tampa and we thought, you know, looking at last year, we've, we're way better on forward. It's clear. We added O'Reilly. We added Achari. We only lost Mikheyev, who didn't even perform anyways in the bottom six, and Kasha, kind of same thing. But you were looking at defense and you're like, Liljegren's gotten better. Sandine's gotten better. You know, the other guys are about the same, but we really were going to miss Jake Muzzin because for all – you know, his struggles in the regular season the last two years, he was excellent in the playoffs. And now we've added a guy who he's not, I'm not going to say he's going to perform like last year's Jake Muzzin because that was a pretty high bar, but I think he can give you 80 to 90% of that. And we know he's a really good two-way guy. Like he is a good defensive defenseman where he plays both sides. You can put him with Morgan Riley if you want to try that. You can put him with TJ Brody if you want to have a shutdown pair. Um, if you want to do Giordano with Brody now as a shutdown, like you have so many options as Sheldon Keefe and looking at the Tampa Bay lightning, they've lost Andre Palat, who's a top six forward from last year, who, who did really well in the playoffs. I think he had about 23 points. They lost Ryan McDonough, who that is about equal to the loss of Jake Muzzin. They didn't replace him. And then all they did was add Tanner Janot. They gave about five draft picks for a guy who's, I think got three or four goals this year. So it's hard to say how a team that only beat us by one goal in game seven uh, is going to be favored against us this year with all the adjustments we've made. 
And I think one of the biggest things that's going under the radar with matching Toronto up against the other Atlantic teams is how strong the other two teams are on the right side. So if you talk about a team like Tampa, they've got Kucherov on the right side and Stamkos is playing right wing now. And Boston, they've got Pasternak and all these guys are coming down the right wing. And so now you have a defenseman who's on the left side, who's defending that side uh, in transition and getting in front of shots and in front of the net, dealing with those kind of guys. And I think that takes a huge step forward instead of having Rasmus Sandin and Morgan Riley playing 40 minutes of the game in that position. Now you're thinking, oh, okay, Jake McCabe breaking up plays in transition, using the body to take these guys off the puck, not giving them a ton of space. Cause those are the, those are the kind of guys, those right wingers, they can break a game open in one shift. So just to have a guy like that, who can kind of match up um, that we didn't have before, I think it's just a massive addition for this team. Uh, just kind of taking that space away that uh, they might have had out against an inexperienced Sandine or Riley, who has no idea what gap control is at all. No, Morgan Riley is not going to be a defensive stud for you at any point. And that's why I love this trade, because I think we should try to do what we did last year and have kind of a shutdown pairing. Um, this time, McCabe in Muzzin's place. So put McCabe with Brody. And then that can allow you to kind of let Morgan Riley play with Lilligren on a super offensive pairing. And then you still have Giordano and Hall or Giordano Sandine, however you want to work it. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts. What do you think the lines should be on defense? What? Are, what? Are, I know there's going to be a ton of options they can try. What would? What do you think would be the best for us? I think you nailed it on the head there. Last year they had a lot of success with the Muzzin uh, Brody pair. I think I would try to recreate that uh, with McCabe and Brody. Uh, try to play them as like my shutdown role against the top two lines. Um, in those situations and then I would use the Riley Lilligren hopefully they can kind of you force them into the offensive zone a little bit a little bit of PP time uh, you don't have to rely on Morgan Riley for 25 minutes a night anymore and then use that third pair of like Giordano and Hall I would have Hall over Sandine just because I feel like right now uh, what you get on the power the penalty kill with Hall uh, probably outweighs with Sandine because I don't think he's going to play on power play two right now um, over like Lilligren I don't see um, the value that Sandine brings that like it's so much more that I'd keep him on the PP2 over having Hall for the PK. So I just think that you'd kind of run it like that. Hopefully Giordano and Hall can uh, do okay in their own end. And then you've got three lines that you can run as much as you want in different situations, depending on the game you can play. doesn't matter who your top pair is going to be. If someone's playing well, you push them up. Like it's just great depth one through six and one through eight. Yeah. And it, it's a lot like the O'Reilly trade where you and I can talk about what we think the ideal pairings are beforehand. And then Sheldon Keefe could come up with something completely different. And we'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like if he throws Brody back with Riley, we know that's worked in the past. We know that's a pretty good pairing. I'm not going to be super mad if he does that. And then he puts, you know, Giordano and, and McCabe together or something like that. Or, or, or um, I don't know, McCabe and Lilligren, something like that. There's so many different options that he could try. And yeah, we one through eight were good. Like Connor Timmons, I was a little bit scared to have him as a seventh defenseman just because we saw that game against Boston where him and Riley got absolutely massacred. Like Connor Timmons stood out like a sore thumb. I wouldn't want to be one injury away from seeing that. So Connor Timmons as an eight, I'm okay with that. Like, like no team's going to have a stud in eighth defenseman and he can at least take some shifts there. He can play, you know, 10, 12 minutes and, and survive. So yeah, Rasmus Sandin in there as a 7D. I really like that. I'm still a little bit weary on him being in the lineup as well in the playoffs just from that I have those nightmares about his giveaways against Montreal that turned games around. Like He's a really good player, and I think he's still got a good future with the Leafs, but it is kind of nice that you know even if we start him in game one, if he has one of those back-breaking errors, we can say, all right, you're, you're in the press box for the next few games. Yeah, and it's not going to hurt us at all. Like, I... One thing that I was trying to figure out was I had trouble imagining what the lines looked like without McCabe because I was thinking, are you going to put Rasmus Sandin, like you said, with the Montreal series? Are you trusting that guy to go up against uh, the top guys in a second pair role? Uh, are you putting him in a position to fail? Are you going to be overexposing Giordano, who's like 40 years old now? Like, it's just, I feel like you push everybody down the lineup. It fits, everyone stylistically fits into their role a little bit better. The pairings match up and yeah, what I just I love what Jake McKay brings. You can play him on any side with any partner on any line, and I'll look at it and say that's great, like you were saying. So I just I'm I'm so excited about this. I don't think that there's 
a whole ton that I would change. Like I just, this is a perfect trade. You get the guy you want. You didn't give up a ton of futures uh, that like really matter. Uh, that 2026 first round pick probably isn't making a big deal. Well, Austin, 2025, I think first round pick isn't making a big deal when Austin Matthews is in his prime. Like this is, this is exactly what I wanted out of the deadline. Yeah. And I think we're seeing kind of a, a shift in the NHL, much like the NBA has where the NBA, you see contenders just throwing around first round picks like candy. Um, at the trade deadline. And I think that's starting to happen in the NHL because teams have realized that a 26th overall pick has like a one in 50 chance of becoming an NHL star. So if you trade that pick for a guy like Jake McCabe, the odds are that that pick's never going to be as good as Jake McCabe. And you said it, we're in Austin Matthews window right now. We're getting a guy for three years. It's an absolute no brainer to get him because if we made that draft pick and the pick became a new version of Jake McCabe, we would be thrilled. So I've seen Dubas do it with the 2023 pick. We've seen Tampa do it for Hagel in the past. We saw them do it for, you know, Goudreau, Coleman, all these guys. And it, it worked out brilliantly for them. I think their their strategy of trading it for Tanner Janot was pretty stupid, but that's just more on the player they got rather than the assets they gave up. Because when you're in a window, you got to take advantage of it. And Kyle Dubas did not – I saw – uh, Pierre Lebrun said that the Leafs are all in and that there's no tomorrow for the team. And I think that's completely false because although we've traded those first, we still have a bunch of good young players on the team. You still have Lilligren, you still have Sandine, you have uh, Robertson coming up, Nyes, all these guys that you still have some hope for. And if you re-sign Matthews and Marner and you keep those guys, they're going to be good for another six, seven years minimum. So you don't need to acquire new superstar talent. As long as you retain the guys you have, Trading those picks really isn't going to bite us. And they've, they traded away that first and second, but I think people are forgetting they also got the two picks back. I think they got a fifth and 25 and a fifth and 26. So, of course, it's a lot easier to get a really good player at the top of the draft. But the Leafs have one of the biggest scouting staffs in the NHL. We've seen it under Kyle Dubas. Of course, a lot of them haven't made the jump yet, but you're starting to look at these guys and saying, okay, like that guy might be a player. I'm thinking of a Ty Voigt, who was a fifth-round pick. I'm thinking about... Um, that Russian guy who's uh, he's a prospect over in the KHL right now, having an unreal season, and he's looking like a player. And it's just I was just googling him. His name's Nikita Grabyankin. He was the top scoring U twenty player in the KHL with twenty six points in fifty two games, and that was the seventh most points for a U twenty guy in KHL history. And that's exactly like you said, a late pick. Yeah, like that's just a random fifth round pick. You've now added two of them. There's guys in the Leafs organization that can pull someone out of thin air. And, you know, you have a player that might end up being uh, something in the AHL. And it's I know you've moved back, but you still have those two draft picks, which I think is going to be pretty big for this team. And it gives them a little bit of uh, homework to do to go find someone that you can uh, you can plug and play. I'm thinking Holmberg, sixth round pick. Like you can find these guys. You just have to be the team that does it. Yeah, and Ty Voigt, another guy. He's he's like one of the leaders in the OHL in scoring, and he's another guy we got in the fifth round. So if Dubas can do that, you don't need – like obviously all these guys we mentioned aren't going to hit, but when you already have Austin Matthews there, you already have Marner, Nylander, all these guys, you don't need 100% hit rate. You just need one or two of those guys to come through, and you're going to be in good shape. Where you get into trouble is when you're a team like the Islanders and you're trading a first-round pick that could be – you know, 12th or 13th overall, where you might actually get a good player. Or if you're a team that's trading away a pick multiple years in the future, when you think you might suck like this leaf pick, it is 2025. Matthews could be gone by them, but he top 20 protected it. So it's honestly, it's like, it might sound biased because we're leaf fans, but there's really no downside to this deal. Like even if we lose in the first round this year, we have Jake McCabe for two more years. Like it's, I don't know how he got Kyle Davidson to agree to this. I wonder if it was uh Remember last year when when Dubas got pissed at him for that whole Matthew Nyes thing, how he leaked that that, that was the asking price for Flurry, and Dubas said that was kind of like unprofessional. I wonder if he's like, yo, you owe me one, Davidson. Just give me this deal for, for a first and a second, and we'll call it. I think this might be Kyle Dubas uh, using his his GM experience and kind of picking on a young guy uh, like he used to. I, I go back to that Phil Kessel trade, and how'd, how'd you get uh, them to retain almost $2 million on Phil Kessel? It's a rookie GM. He needed that first round pick in the deal. And this is the way he thought he could do it. I think Kyle Dubas kind of brought him along. Oh, you're my friend. You know, we're the young guys. We got to take on the world together as two young GMs in the league. And I think he took him to the back of the barn and put him out of his misery. Like I just, 
I look at this deal and I just, I can't keep, I keep thinking of new ways that it's successful for the Leafs. And like you said, it sounds like you and I are two homers sitting here right now, but they got the player they wanted at a great term at a great cap hit. And it didn't cost them anything of significant value that to their organization right now, like just like poem snaps for Kyle Dubas right now. Yeah, like he's really been using Chicago as a dumping ground for bad money. Like he got, I think, what was it, Mrazek? He traded um, like a a 25th overall pick for 39th overall pick just to take Mrazek. So he moved back 14 spots to clear 3.8 for two years. And then in this deal, Jake McCabe, like if he's 4 million, he's probably getting a first rounder still, right? Would you agree on that? Yeah, something like that, for sure. Like if he's not retained, he's something, yeah, he's something like 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 a first rounder. And then... If you add Sam Lafferty in the deal, who we haven't even mentioned yet, uh, he's probably worth at least a third, given that he's he's a younger guy here for a year or two. Um, so basically, you're just you're bumping up that that pick to a second rounder from a third rounder to save two million. So basically, for the cost of like I don't know, moving back fourteen picks and then moving back maybe another thirty picks later in the draft, you're clearing five point eight million for three years, pretty much. Like. That is some wizardry from Kyle Dubas. And I don't know if they vote on the uh, GM of the year before the playoffs, but if they do, Kyle Dubas should win it because, yeah, he's he's GM of the year to me. I think I think he'd get more likely a GM of the year type of vote after the playoffs once we win the Stanley Cup. But I think if they vote before the playoffs, he won't win it because we'll still kind of have that uh, that playoff choke stink on us until we actually do it. I think they vote on it during the second round, so that doesn't help us a ton. We got to get out of there, out of the first. Hey, if we get out of the first, he might. If we beat Tampa in five, yeah. Like just looking at this Tampa series, I we know it's going to happen. It's pretty much locked in. There's there's ninety nine point nine percent chance. We're right now we're uh, four points ahead of them. They have a game in hand, so we're pretty much just fighting for home ice. Uh, but right now, like. Outside of Andre Vasilevsky, Tampa doesn't have any advantage in this series. You look at first line, we're better. Second line, we're better. Third line, we're better. Fourth line, we're better. I guess first pair D, you'd give them the edge because of Victor Hedman. But second pair, third pair, we're better in pretty much every asset aspect except for our primary D and our pri- primary goaltender, which those are obviously two huge things. And we've seen Vasilevsky can definitely swing a series. But if he's not a solid like 10 to 15 points better in terms of save percentage than Samsonov or Murray. I don't think Tampa's making it past five games. I think we also have to remember that Tampa Bay has a secret under the table deals with the referees. And that's another thing that we're fighting against. Yeah, that will be another thing. And Tanner, you know, for all the criticism we give him for not being a superstar style player, he's a, he's a heavy hitter and we, they have Corey Perry, they have Patrick Maroon, you know, Tampa's going to be outclassed in a lot of aspects this series, but what they're going to do is, yeah, they're going to try to muck it up, make it dirty, take advantage of that uh, that poor whistle. And I I was talking with Lebda's legacy on the phone about the trade yesterday, and he's he he put the idea that the Leafs should make darn sure that Wes McCauley is not allowed anywhere near this series, given the uh, fact that he's got that relationship with uh, with Sheldon Keefe. I think if we can keep Wes McCauley away, I'd give us about an 80% chance of winning this series. Yeah, I think if you send Wes McCauley a few extra Instagram followers, it seems to be all he cares about uh, in his NHL career. I think if you go get a couple uh, couple Russian bots to go uh, follow him on Twitter and Instagram, I think he could stay away from the series for sure because it seems like that's all he does care about. But yeah, like you said, if we uh, if it's, if it's you could promise me right now that the refing would be pretty similar... Uh, and that goaltending would be really similar. I think the Leafs in four. Like it's, I think they're so much better. <laughs> I think we're riding Tampa hard because of what they've done in the past. But they, I just, I'm looking at this Leafs team, and I think Tampa's scared. I think Tampa spent five picks on a guy thinking, okay, like we got to make a response here. And Kyle Dubas went out and said, okay, that, I'll do it too. And I just. I, I, I can't look at this Tampa team and say, oh yeah, they got us for sure. Like I just, I'm looking at Toronto and like, we just, we've got them, you know, like this is, it, it's kind of meant to be, you you, you won last year, but I don't think they beat us and we got significantly better and I'm kind of looking at Tampa and you have to make a pretty good argument to make me think that they're a little bit better. Like it just, it's not adding up for me right now. I agree. Cause like, 
we said the series was one goal apart. Sure, Vasilevsky didn't have his best series, but we also had Jack Campbell stinking it up too. So I think the goaltending gap will be bigger this year because I think Vasilevsky will be better. But just from a, a pure roster standpoint, yeah, the Leafs should be a lot better. Just look at their defense. Like they have Hedman on one pair, they have Sergachev on another pair, and they have Chernak as another guy. But if you look at the other defensemen on each of those pairings, it's a lot like the uh, the early Matthews era Leafs when we when they had one good puck mover on the line and then one guy who's kind of you you probably want to dump it in his corner every time. So they're very exploitable with Bogosian, Perbix, Ian Cole. Like these are not big name defensemen, and that's why I was happy when I saw the Geno trade because think of how mad you would have been if you saw that Tampa made the McCabe trade. And they were able to add a top four defenseman. That would have completely changed my outlook on them because that would have given them four really reliable defensemen. But as it is, Victor Hedman is going to be playing 30 minutes a game and he's probably going to be amazing. But outside of him and him and the other couple guys, like they have a really kind of shoddy defense. Yeah, you're going to just, if I'm Tampa, I'm just hoping that I, I like, like we were talking about earlier, you got to muck it up. You got to try to beat Toronto at, uh, like outside the rules a little bit, you kind of got to uh, use your stick, get away, uh, get get away with a few things. But as of right now, it's just like the the gap is so large that I just um, like if you kind of take out goaltending, which like of course Vasilevsky could steal the series, and that's like the big question mark. But right now, I'm kind of looking at it, and I just I feel really confident in this Leafs group. It's well rounded. They added some really good leadership. Jake McCabe's worn a a letter on his jersey most of his NHL career. Ryan O'Reilly's been a captain and worn a uh, letter most of his NHL career. Like you brought leaders into this room. You got the vets on the team. They've got a couple of guys in the AHL right now, like Simmons, who's going to be around the team. Like there's good, good group uh, of guys play any style you want. There's depth through the whole lineup versatility. Like it's just, it's really hard to look at an area like we've had in the past and be like, "Ah, I'm a little shaky here. It's well-rounded. It's great. They're built really well. I'm, I'm really excited to kind of get the puck dropped here and, get going. I can't believe we've got to wait till Wednesday to watch this team play. I know. I know. And the, they really are from a skater's perspective, they are a team without any really identifiable weaknesses. I'm sure Tampa will find something to exploit in round one, but the biggest question mark is just in net. And if I'm start, if I'm going into a playoff series and you said I could give my, like I could add any player in the league to my team for one series, it would be Vasilevsky, not McDavid, not Matthews, it would be Vasilevsky. So we definitely have to respect that. But me and you don't because we're not playing. But the Leafs have to respect that. And he he will be looming large. So I, I think he it's – we're not saying they're going to walk over them. We're saying if goaltending were equal, I think they would walk over them. But as it plays out, like, like if I had to guess today, I'd say Leafs in six would be my guess. And last year I said Tampa in six. So don't think I'm just some kind of biased guy. But uh, I think it would be a good idea here to get into Sam Lafferty as well because we're 26 minutes in and we barely mentioned the guy. Um, and he's actually in your name, though. I noticed that on Twitter. You're the Sam Lafferty truthery. And to be honest, I, I hadn't been following. You know, I, I have followed the least, but I haven't followed the league as much this year. So let me in on Sam Lafferty and why you were so uh, keen on getting him. Well, as soon as the Leafs were kind of – said that they were interested in him and there was a few reports going around that they liked him. I uh, I started watching him a little bit more and I, I, then I changed my name because I thought it was funny that this guy kind of came out of nowhere and he was like traded for an AHL player like a year before. And then all of a sudden he's unreal and he's worth a second round pick and everyone's tra- wanting to trade for this guy. But like I watch him and it just, he's exciting to watch. You know, he's got killer speed. He's unreal on the PK. I don't think a lot of people have been talking about this. But like he's got that Mikheyev in him where he just he blocks the shot, gets the puck, he flies down the ice. I think he's got more shorthanded goals this year than Jeannot has total goals. Like he just he's been flying up the ice. He plays center, he plays wing, he plays either wing, and he's he's like 54, 55% on the dot. And what I liked about him was uh he looks he looks really good. He's a center in Chicago system that looked good. And the last time we had that, it was uh David Camp coming in, and Camp's expiring next year. And they maybe needed an extra center who sh- uh, shoots right if Camp ends up leaving and some Western team pays him like a crazy amount of money. Like it seems all our UFAs get. And so I just, I liked him as like kind of that low at low cost guy. You just grab like Nick Paul was last year or like 
just that guy out of nowhere. You're like, oh, who's this guy? And comes out and he has a great playoff. And it's like, whoa, he puts the league on notice. And so I thought that was our guy. And it just, I got lucky that it was, it actually happened. Yeah, because he's been in your name for a good while now. So good for you. Um, and he is the kind of guy that you could see just changing a series with one play. Like shorthanded, you know, we're down, we're tied 1-1 with, with 12 minutes left in the third. The refs make up a hooking call on us. And then Sam Lafferty comes out and scores a two-on-one and flips the bird to the ref on his way back to the bench. Like that is exactly what I'd love to see. Um, and another thing I like is what you mentioned too. He's a center. Like we have so many centers on this team. We have... Tavares, Matthews, O'Reilly, Achari, Lafferty, Kampf. I'm not going to really say Kerfoot. So I'd say six and a half centers on this team. Like it's, it's like Team Canada, how they would have guys playing the wing who were actual centers. Like it's just going to add that defensive awareness to the team. And the penalty kill is going to get a big boost. Like we've added three major components to the penalty kill in the last two weeks. O'Reilly will be a big part. You could, you could picture maybe O'Reilly and Lafferty as your PK2. And then you have, you know, Jake McCabe on that penalty kill. Like we're really loading up on special teams and that is, that's key. And, and O'Reilly adds to that power play as well. Like, like if our power play is struggling, like it always seems to do in the playoffs, we have more adjustments we can go to. Like I just say it over and over again, but Sheldon Keefe has an infinite amount of weapons in his arsenal right now. Do you want to get into the lines? I found the lineup combo from practice today. Or do yes. you have to? No, you read it out to me. So the top six is the same as it's been for the last like couple days uh, with the Ryan with Ryan O'Reilly in the middle with Tavares and Nylander. Uh, our third line's the same as it's been: Engvall, Camp, Yarncroke, and then Aston Reese is out of the lineup. Our fourth line's now Kerfoot, Achari, Lafferty. Uh, Achari's at center, and I, I, I hope, love that. I hope you're sitting down because the defense is something. All right, let it, lay it on me. So they've got. McCabe Brody together, which is on the second pair, which is what you and I were talking about. Uh, and then they've got Riley on the first pair with our boy Justin Hall. Oh. And then Giordano uh, Lilligren. And then uh, what's his um, Sandines on the outside? That's interesting to me. Um, I, I think they've tried Hall and Riley in the past and it hasn't worked out well to my memory. Um, I'm going to pull up a quick money puck thing here to see how they've done in the past, but. I mean, I'm all for trying anything. If you can find somebody to pair with Morgan Riley that's going to allow you to play Brody and McCabe together as a shutdown, I'm all for it. So I'm down with trying that. I wonder if it just ends up switching and maybe you go Riley Lilligren and uh, Giordano Hall. But Riley Lilligren, I can see why they'd be averse to that because Lilligren's lack of experience, he's still maybe prone to like making a mistake or two. And Morgan Riley's not the guy you want there for that. So Justin Hall, at least he's he's a little bit more solid. And then you got Giordano with with Lilligren. I think that's a really nice pair. So I'm I'm definitely down with trying that. I'm down with trying pretty much anything. Yeah, I just get worried. I think I think the thing with uh, Riley Hall is I think it, the numbers say that it's good, but I don't think the eye test has. I think I've I think you watch it a game and they make like some big stupid mistake and you're like, oh, this sucks. Like. Why is Justin Hall on our top pair? But like the numbers support it. So it's like one of those things where it's a bit of a toss up. Like it's kind of which side are you on? Are you like analytics or you eye test? I don't love it. Like, like Justin Hall is a good defenseman. I was really hoping that this was the end of the Justin Hall in the top four experiment. We were going to finally put him on the third pair, but you know, it is what it is. It's uh, I guess uh, you can never escape him. eh? He's here forever. Yeah, and I've just done the research. So this year in 145 minutes, they have a 51.5% expected goals, which for the Leafs is not great. It's it's a little bit below average, I guess. Um, and then if I go to last year, let's see how they did. Uh, yeah, it's they didn't even play that many minutes together last year to even qualify for this. So yeah, it's it's a it's a pairing that I'm definitely skeptical of, but. I can see kind of the logic, at least in trying that at first and that you don't want those two risky guys together. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting. If we can find some way to get Brody and McCabe as a shutdown pair, I'm all for it. Riley Labushkin didn't really work much last year. So we need to upgrade on that. Um, now, as for forwards, we didn't really talk about this since the last podcast. I'm I'm pretty happy with the way that he's got the top six aligned. If that can... if that second line with O'Reilly, Nylander, Tavares can actually pop as like another first line for us and allows us to still have the absolute unit that is Marner and Matthews together. That's a crazy look for us. 
Yeah, I'm still hoping to see that uh, Ryan O'Reilly at 3C at some point in the future. Uh, but right now I like it because um, I feel like if you're losing a series or you're losing a game and you really want to jumpstart your team, I feel like that's the ideal where you're dropping like Matthews Marner line 22 minutes a night and then the Ryan O'Reilly Tavares Nylander line 22 minutes a night. And you're just trying to like overthrow them in like a game five, six, if you're kind of down in the series um, or like if you're down in a game. But I think the idea would be to start with the three C's. And, uh, but I just, the way that I'm looking at it right now is I just, I want to see it, then build chemistry. Ron O'Reilly comes in. He kind of has a little bit of fun. You know, he's playing with Neilander and, uh, and Tavares, gets a few points, ease him into it. He's probably living in like some crappy hotel right now in Toronto. Like just get him. Uh, I don't think it's a crappy hotel uh, with, with the value of MLSE. Oh, but, but I just imagine his, his $7 million a year has bought him a pretty nice place in St. Louis. So whatever he's living in is probably a pretty big downgrade. So I'm hoping he just like ease him into Toronto. He doesn't have to play third line with, with Pierre Engvall just yet. We'll, we'll ease him into that. But I like I just said, I, I want them to kind of try it. But I want to try every, every uh, possible combination before we get into a playoff series. Yeah, I've actually, I was totally aboard having him as the 3C when we got him. But after considering things and seeing the other additions we've made on the bottom six, I think it could be our optimal, like our dream scenario is that that works. Um, I would definitely give him a few games as 3C later in the season, like you said, just to kind of build chemistry and at least not throw him together with guys he's never played with before. But I like what the bottom six looks like now. Like if you look at that Engvall Yarncroc. Uh, camp line that's very similar to the you're basically just replacing Mikheyev with Yarncroc and Yarncroc's been really good this year we know he's a good defensive winger if you if that's a line you can feel comfortable playing a few minutes against Tampa's top lines and then having an O'Reilly line kind of do the same then you're really opening up Austin Matthews for some cushy minutes so I can definitely see the benefit in it and just having like if, if that line could really pop, that Nylander line with O'Reilly, like that could be the true two first lines that we haven't really seen since we got Tavares that we expected. We saw it the first year when Tavares absolutely exploded with Marner and then we had Matthews doing his thing, but we haven't totally seen it since. So if those lines are going to eat, you know, 35 of the, of the 50 even strength minutes a night, like we, we might be all right. And then that, that fourth line, I really like it. Like as a, we know Achari's got got ten or eleven goals on the year. We know um, Lafferty's got eleven goals, and we know Kerfoot. He's no bum. Like he's as a fourth liner, he's he's pretty good. He he has no finishing, but he's been good in transition. He's good getting the puck into dangerous positions. So if we know he loves to pass it off, so if he's passing it off to those two, I think that's a fourth line that could actually chip in two three goals over the course of seven games. Might help us too, because it feels like Kerfoot just puts everything into the goalie's chest. So if you've got two guys who drive the net hard and the puck's dropping right in front of the net, Kerfoot might be the great, the greatest player ever playing with those two guys, just racking up those assists. You're not wrong. I think I think the, one of the nice things too is we're almost Keefe-proofed in a way. Like, no matter what he does, I, I it's hard for me to even look at it and get mad. Like, I'm sure there's some formation he could try that would really suck, but like, Dubas has just built such an even team, such a versatile team with so many different guys. Like outside of, I think the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that would piss me off is putting Kerfoot with Tavares and Nylander again. If I saw that, I would throw my remote at Sheldon Keefe's face through the TV. But other than that, I don't think there's anything that could really infuriate me because just our depth is so good. Yeah, there's just so many great lineup combinations. It's like, like you said, it's Keefe proof. You can kind of, you shake the Rolodex and you're like, oh, okay, we'll try this tonight. And you're like, great lineup. They won. And you do it again the next night and change everything and shuffle the deck chairs a little bit. And it's uh, it looks like it's going to work. So just lots of guys that do their job, play their role. And, you know, I, I think they, what I like is they've added a couple of guys that, like you were saying, could just chip in a goal or two here or there playing in the dirty areas. And just that changes the series, right? In a game where maybe losing you get a big energy line goal from the fourth line and they go out there have a couple hits score a goal and you know you're back in the game and like that's that's kind of what this team needs a little bit of and they got some proven winners with uh ryan o'reilly achari who's been far in the playoffs you know like it's just i i'm really liking this like they they've upgraded where they needed to and you're looking at a team where it's like okay here we go now yeah, they've got hitters like Achari. O'Reilly's tough. Like Giordano's a pretty tough guy. Bunting, we see him in scrums all the time. Like they're, they have 
evolved into such a playoff style team. And I just, I hate that we have to wait, you know, like 50 days to still see it in the playoffs. All right, Noah and I have come back uh, about two hours after our initial recording. When we were recording the first part of the podcast, uh, Noah broke the Sandine trade to me basically right after I finished my last word there. And then we uh, we did a Sandine segment for about 20 minutes, talked about what could happen next, all this other stuff. And boom, Kyle Dubas goes out and trades Pierre Engvall for a third rounder and then trades that third rounder for Luke Shen. So basically... All in all today, the Leafs traded Rasmus Sandin and Pierre Engvall basically to get Luke Shen, Eric Gustafson, and Boston's first-round pick from this year. So, Noah, all in all, what's your take on the uh, the whole slew of transactions he made today? Uh, I think the Leafs really took it to heart. Uh, maybe like the idea of them getting pushed around a little bit, and they felt that they really needed to take a step in that department. Pierre Engvall, he's been labeled soft. And like he doesn't really lay the body a lot, get into the physical areas of the puck, and they move him out. They move Sandine out, who I guess had a little bit of that, but then they bring in the guy who leads the NHL and hits by quite a big margin. Yeah, and then they add Eric Gustafson as well, who's had a really good season so far for Washington. He's uh, He actually leads the Leafs defenseman in points right now with 38 and 60 games. His metrics look good. Um, before we get into, we'll talk about the Sandine deal a little bit, talk about what it means for the Leafs and then talk about each, each of the other deals as well. But to just start it off, do you think the Leafs are better or worse for this season after today? Uh, I think the Leafs are probably like you could like over 82 games. I think they, they, uh, yesterday's team probably does a little bit better than the team we have today, uh, over the course of a regular season. But of course the playoffs are not the regular season and a guy like Luke Shen, uh, really becomes more valuable as the whistles go away. The rule book kind of gets thrown out. Um, and I, I look at Gustafson as potentially better than Sandina's as of February 28th, 2023, uh, probably a better player uh, than uh, than Rasmus Sandina's. So I think the Leafs are better for the playoffs. I think over the regular season, you'd see like a drop off in uh, how many points they would finish, but you're looking at a team that's more primed for a, a big playoff run. But I think that there's there's still something more that needs to be done, and I'm sure we'll get talking about that in a little bit here. Yeah, we've seen it every year pretty much, and you can't really deny it anymore. The playoffs are just different than the regular season. And Luke Shen, he's definitely not a great regular season player. He's actually hasn't been bad the last two years. Like he's he's been an okay bottom pairing guy. He looked good with Quinn Hughes, so I wonder if he'll play with Morgan Riley in kind of that Ron Hainsey role or similar to like Labushkin did last year. He brings that physicality and we have Gustafson, we have Hall. That's Those guys are our 7th and 8th defensemen if, if Luke Shen is going to be on the ice. So if Shen's getting exposed in the playoffs, it's pretty easy for the Leafs to replace him. Um, but he does bring that physicality that might be helpful. And he won a Stanley Cup with Tampa. So you can't really argue the fact that he you could win with Luke Shen on your decor. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think we are better for the playoffs. I think um, Gustafson... I'm curious to see what they do with him because he's having a sneaky good season. Like he's, he's playing over 20 minutes a night. He's been in his past years, more of an offensive guy who's been pretty bad defensively, but he's been doing well defensively for Washington. So I don't know if it's just kind of random luck or that Washington has been a good defensive team or anything like that, or if he just figured something out at 30, but if he did, that's another nice depth piece to add. Now I think Connor Timmons got to be pretty pissed today. He's now our ninth defenseman. But, yeah, we're fairly deep. Now, Now, um, I think the best thing to do first would just be to talk about the Sandine deal and just get your thoughts on what kind of the value of that. So we got a first rounder. Basically, it's going to be, you know, somewhere between 27 to 32. So it's not an early first rounder by any means. Do you think that's good value? And do you think that will still be a part of our organization on Friday at 3 o'clock? Um, personally, I don't think that that, uh, pick was going to be anything, uh, to do with the Leafs organization on Friday at 3.01 PM. Um, I just, I look at this trade and I think part of me feels like, um, you could have dealt Sandine on draft day and you would have got something similar back. Someone would have given you a late first round pick for him. Uh, and this deal would have been available. So I find it interesting that they 
they pull the trigger on this now, they get this done, and they add that extra asset. Uh, it just kind of feels like to me there's a little bit more bubbling under the surface here. I don't think that the Leafs are moving Sandine if they don't have to um, to get something else done. And I think uh, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, but um, a first round pick might be more valuable to someone than Sandine if the team isn't super high on Sandine. And so you just get that first round pick, uh, which could be anything to a rebuilding team. Yeah, first round picks are very tradable. No team that's rebuilding is is going to scoff at a first round pick. So it gives us the opportunity where now that we've we've moved Engvall, who I I'm not going to lie, I shed a few tears. Noah, that's my boy. Everybody knows it's my boy. I'm sad to lose him. Um, and but moving him for Luke Shen with the moves they made today, when Matt Murray comes back, the lease will have almost one million in cap space, about nine hundred thirty thousand or so. So you pair that with Alex Kerfoot's salary, just for example, you're looking at about three, four point four to four point five million. You couple that with a first round pick, that can get you a pretty interesting player. Like, especially if we're talking about fifty percent retained salary, that's a that's a player over eight million. So the Leafs could definitely make some big moves, and I'm with you. I don't think that's going to be a part of our organization on Friday. I'm thinking Kyle Dubas right now is going top six winger hunting and seeing if he can find somebody to put on that second line so that Ryan O'Reilly can carry his own third line. And we can have a guy like, I don't know, maybe Travis Konechny, if they do something similar to McCabe where they where Philly retains his salary for multiple years, maybe we give good assets for that. Or maybe for uh, Brock Besser, who's who's uh, who's at about $6 million, to cut his cap. I wouldn't give the first for him. I don't, I don't totally know about that, but there's him. I saw a few other names being mentioned by people today. Like there, there are some interesting guys, maybe even Buchnevich from uh, St. Louis, if you can get the him retained. Like I would happily give our first Kerfoot and maybe some other assets to get Buchnevich from, from St. Louis. So what do you think they do with that pick? Uh, I think it's for sure tradable for a first, uh, like a like a top six um, winger or like a good middle six winger with term. Uh, I agree with you. I think term should be the focus here, you know, um, you make a big play with Sandine getting him out uh, and bringing something in. I feel like you should be trying to get uh, something that isn't a rental. But I, of course, if you could get an unreal player with that pick, like is kind of you're kind of all in already this year, you might as well keep going and maybe you can resign him or something. But I do think that that pick should not be a part of the Leafs organization uh, come Friday because what are you using it for? Like what? Like there's no point in having it if if we're already this deep in and. I'm kind of looking at our forward core right now. And like, if you end up going with the Ryan O'Reilly in the top six, you're looking at a third line of like Kerfoot, um, Yarn Croak, and Camp for like Lafferty, Camp, and Yarn Croak. And I just don't know if that's like they're deep enough there now, losing Engvall, who's been such a big contributor in the bottom six. And so it feels like there's got to be another move here at forward. And it's not just going to be simple as like plugging Matt and Eyes in. No, I, I do think Matt Nyes is probably okay with the move they made today, though. That kind of opens up a little more cap space in case they bring him into the team, or it just opens up another spot for him to potentially come in as a scoring threat. But yeah, I think I think we just need one more forward now because that whole that whole David Camp complete shutdown line, I think it kind of hinged on having Angball on the team. And now that he's off of there, like um, that, that can be a solid two-way line because we talked about Yarncroc earlier in the podcast. He is good defensively, but yeah, if you can get another, you can make David Camp your fourth line and you can run Yarncroc, Ryan O'Reilly, and I don't know, Achari or, or somebody, Lafferty, somebody in there who can put the puck in the net with them. You're looking at a pretty interesting team. Do you have any specific forwards you think they uh, might target? No, I, I honestly have no idea. I, I didn't look at it too much, but I... I just feel like there, there, there's got to be something bigger here. Like I, I've seen a few names out there that are just like kind of middle six, like ho hum guys. But I think that this is going to be the kind of move where we're looking at it. Like when Jake McCabe rolled across the, the ticker, it was like, oh, okay. Like you could kind of telegraph it. Like, oh yeah, that's kind of the player that they want. And I feel like we're going to have something similar here, where it's like maybe not as obvious as McCabe, but you, afterwards you're like, oh, that was the perfect fit. And they didn't pay a whole ton for him, and it just fits. Uh, into the lineup and it's like great for this year maybe future years like I feel like it's going to be the kind of move coming where between now and Friday like Dubas is going to steal the show again and you're going to be looking at this team and you're going to be having a hard time putting other teams against them with how they're going to kind of figure this out 
Yeah, I could see it being kind of like the Muzzin move where nobody really had him on the Leafs' radar and then all of a sudden he's a Leaf. Like, if if they're if they're using that first-round pick, I wouldn't want to use it on a rental like Domi or Bertuzzi, who are two guys who I think would be good adds to the team. But I think if you're doing that, then you're moving Kerfoot or whatever salary you have to and then, like, a, the equivalent of a second-round pick or something. Maybe then what they were just doing was stockpiling assets so that they could give away a, a lesser asset for uh for an acquisition so yeah i think we're gonna see one more forward on the leafs on uh on friday i think dubas is in a good spot too because it's not like he desperately needs to like the the depth on forward is totally fine right now like zach aston reese for for about 24 hours there he lost his job and now he's back on the fourth line he's uh he's in there replacing engvall now so yeah, he's not a bad option as your 12th forward, but you wouldn't mind adding one more. But Dubas could be just waiting it out. Like he can wait until, you know, two o'clock on Friday and then come to some GM who's desperate to, to get rid of something and get something for his, his expiring guy. Like let's say Max Domi hasn't gone yet. Then he could maybe swoop. Yeah, there's going to definitely be something here. Like I just, I can't think of a, how having like Kerfoot as your third line left winger makes sense with this team, especially the way that they're going with the amount that they've moved out. They have nine defensemen right now. I don't think that that should be the plan um, moving forward to have nine defensemen on your roster. I feel like there's got to be some sort of move there. Like it just, there's, it, it doesn't feel like it's complete yet. I don't know how you feel, but. Yeah. It's got me wondering if Justin Hall is on the way out. I I don't know, because he has $2 million. The two guys they got are a lot cheaper. Basically, Gustafson and Shen cost one Justin Hall price. So I could, I wouldn't be surprised. I think, for me, the D pairs right now are probably going to be two of the ones we saw today, which is McCabe and Brody, and then Gio, Gio and Lily. And then I think Shen's going to slide in right away with Riley. I think they traded for him because they want to play him. Um, and I think he'll kind of fit that Ron Hainsey style of kind of stay-at-home type of guy. He'll fit like what Labushkin was. And yeah, I think Justin Hall might be in a new home if the right deal comes, but I don't think they'll be mad to keep him either. No, and I think you're right, but it, it does seem like we're getting to a point where Justin Hall and the Leafs are maybe over because you already have um, Connor Timmons who can slot in at that fourth line, uh, fourth pair uh, right defense, and then Jordy Ben can play both sides. So you're like five deep at both end, at like both left and right, if you consider Ben like the ninth defenseman chilling on the Marlies for a little bit. Uh, and then you ship out Hall and play Shen in that um, Labushian pairing. And you're basically going back into the playoffs with the same kind of setup you had last year, where you've got Riley and the defensive physical player. And then you've got the Brody shutdown pair with Muzzin slash McCabe. And then you go with Giordano and uh, Liljegren as your third pair. And I think that that's probably one of the better uh, situations we could have. And then, you know, you try to get assets back for Hall and maybe you're continuously flipping picks and getting that forward and, opening the spot for Nyes. I just, I feel like there's still more to be done here. And like we saw with Dubas today, he made three moves. Like you can, it's hard to telegraph what he's about to do next. Yeah. That's why I don't really want to, like we can project the defense pairs because the, all that might happen is subtract tr subtraction. You know, they're not adding another defenseman, but on forward, it's, it's hard to say because if they don't add a, if they don't add a top six winger, then O'Reilly probably stays in the top six, but if they do, then all of a sudden that just opens up a whole new can of worms and they could be putting O'Reilly with Willie and then putting Tavares with, with like Yarncroc and, and the new guy or something like that. Like there's just so many different scenarios that could happen. So it's, it's exciting. Um, and yeah, there's, uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm just curious to see where, like, I want to see what, what happens with Gustafson. Cause we're, we're not talking about him as being in the lineup, but I feel like he, if I were him, I'd be pretty pissed. I'm, I go from playing 20 minutes to being in the press box after uh, one trade. Yeah, there's, there's got to be something with him. Like, And uh, I think someone was on Twitter today saying, like, oh, why are you grabbing him if he's just going to sit in the, the press box? He's having a good season. Like, you could probably get an asset back for him. Like, maybe the Leafs were just – they took him on to flip him. And, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a weird season. Kyle Dubas is – uh, he's, he's off the rails. He's cooking. Like we, we aren't really sure what to expect from him. Like he's, it seems like he's got full permission to kind of do whatever and really, uh, really bolster this team. And it, for years, we've talked about how Dubas is, he's got his eggs in different baskets and he's looking at other things and he's talking to a bunch of teams and then, you know, he makes two moves and that's it. And it seems like this is kind of 
stuff that he's been planning forever. Like to, he just pulls five trades off in 10 days, completely reshapes the roster. And what I would be interested to see is like where the Leafs um, were in like team hits, like total, like a week ago. And then after the, and then the day, like the, like the day before the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And then today, like, cause you had Shen and Achari and Lafferty and, and O'Reilly. And it's McCabe, like, okay. he lays the body. McCabe too. Yeah. Like there's, what is that? Like so many guys that just play a more physical style. And like what in two weeks we've just added that. eh? like, that's wild. Yeah. They've just became so much harder to play against. Like they're not a fun team to play against. Even if like Luke Shen, he might not be good, but I don't think uh, Kucherov's looking forward to meeting him in the corner. So I do like to add that bit of sandpaper. And I like the way it's set up right now that if he's getting torched, then he can sit because we have other guys that can be there. So that's why I'm kind of, if I had to guess who's going to get traded along, if we do end up moving our first rounder, I would say it's probably Hall because I think, I think they're just married to Kerfoot. I just, th- I, I have a hard time seeing them get rid of him. I think if you move Hall and you have that 2.9 million, uh, because you have the, the 0.9 in space and then 2 million of Hall, that lets you get somebody who's almost at 5 million in salary. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's the move just to get one more forward. And then that allows them, especially if they're moving O'Reilly to the third line, if they get if they get another winger, then Kerfoot all of a sudden becomes more useful in the third line because then it's a scoring line. So then you can have Kerfoot, O'Reilly, Yarncroke, and then you know Tavares, Nylander, whoever the new guy is, and then keeping the Marner-Matthews line. So it's going to be a crazy few days, man. Now, do you think we – because we talked about it so much on the, on the previously deleted podcast. Uh, let's just kind of rehash our thoughts on Sandine. Like, do you think – do you think we're going to regret this one day? Do you think that he's going to become a top four defenseman? How do you see this working out for Washington? I think it could, I think he could for sure make Kyle Dubas look bad and he'll be the kind of guy that he's like Carter Verhage in a couple of years where it's, Oh, how do we get rid of this guy? He's awesome. in like four or five years and he's playing on Washington's second pair for the next decade. And like, you know, uh, that could be totally possible, but I feel confident giving up on him now because you know, the Leafs are going to probably, he would have been the seventh defenseman. Um, I don't know how, how much he gets into the lineup come playoff time. You know, of course, hopefully the Leafs are healthy and we don't have to see the seventh defenseman. And so you go the whole playoffs, he doesn't play. Now you've got Riley, McCabe, and Giordano down the left side for next year. And then the year after, Giordano retires, but you still have the two other guys. So you're thinking three years from now, Sandine's maxed out as a third-pair defenseman who's 25 years old, who looks great there, but there's nowhere for him to elevate. He's not the, like he's not doing too much on PP2. Like... It's just kind of a luxury they can't afford. And so you get out from him now, get maximum value, and then hopefully he succeeds in Washington. Yeah, and I think it's a sign that the Leafs didn't see him developing into that top four guy anytime soon. I know he's blocked by McCabe and Riley, but like, I think if you really believed he could do it, you probably would still hang on to him. But I think they're just trying to avoid another Travis Dermott scenario where you overweight it and you keep trying to hope that he can make the jump the next year and keep making that jump. And all of a sudden his value goes from a first and Eric Gustafson to a third rounder or something like that. So it's he's either going to look like it was brilliant timing or terrible timing because he's going to go to Washington and we'll find out, you know, within the next year or two, whether he can do it because he's going to get top four minutes right now. He might not succeed yet, but I, I wouldn't give up on him in that case. But by the end of next year, if he's still struggling to hold down a top four role, then this trade's going to look great for the Leafs, especially if we see them get something you know, on Friday that, that really pushes us over the top. But yeah, if, if we're, I would just hate to move Sandine for a first round pick and then trade that one for a rental now. That would feel like a bit of a waste. So if we are trading that first round pick, it's got to be to me for somebody with a little turn. And I feel like I'm leaving the Sandine trade feeling a lot better if we get Jake McCabe back and then we get some forward and Jake McCabe looks great in the playoffs and then the forwards got term here. He comes in, maybe he's a physical guy as well, laying the body, scoring some goals, and you're looking at this team and you're like, oh, okay, if we have to sacrifice Sandine and we're in the third round, like in a couple podcasts from now, like I think you and I are laughing and we aren't remembering too much of Sandine at that point. So hopefully that's kind of where we're looking at, eh? Yeah, if we make the second round, I, I won't even be able to spell Sandine anymore. So I I just want to win a round. We talked about it earlier in the podcast. We thought it was happening before. We still think it's happening now. 
Um, and I think that about does it for us. Do you have anything else you wanted to uh, say? No, I'm I'm hoping that you and I are chatting pretty soon. Like there's a there's another trade coming down the wire, and we're uh, we're chatting about the big forward we've just added. So I can't wait. Yeah, I'm hoping it's my dream scenario would be Buchnevich. I don't think St. Louis is looking to full on tank, so I don't see him being the guy. But if they could get like Philly, doesn't seem like they're going to be on the up anytime soon. So why not go to them and see if they'll take. I don't know, a first rounder and a second rounder and, and some stuff for for Konechny at half retained. Who says no? Probably. Yeah, that's that's what we need. We just need like some guy who's going to be able to plug and play second line or uh, we can put him on the third maybe. Maybe he's the guy who comes in the Ryan O'Reilly whisperer and you've got three scoring lines. Like there's there's so much to be done. And I, I was saying it on Twitter today. Like I just, I feel like Kyle Dubas doesn't make that Sandine move right now if he doesn't think that there's a player out there that's worth that 2023 first round pick that he felt like he couldn't trade Sandine straight up for so I feel like number one he's not making that move unless there's a guy lined up like it's not like he's going out there shopping now he's already got the guy in mind and they're working their way through the deal and um, I don't think that they needed to move Sandine today uh, if their plan was just to sit on that pick I think they could have waited a little bit for that yeah I agree because even if he had sat in the playoffs. I don't think his value goes down, but maybe it does. Maybe if they had him as 7D and they, they don't play him the whole time or he gets exposed in the playoffs or something, then all of a sudden teams aren't willing to offer a first. So it's it's hard to know. Um, with the additions of Shen and, and a guy named McCabe, it almost makes me want Domi just to get the old school vibes coming back. But uh, Domi's not worth a first. He's got to be like a, like I said earlier, like a, like a second or something like that for him. So. Yeah, 100%. Well, Noah, it's been real. Um, Kyle Dubas, please wait at least 24 hours before making your next trade so this podcast can stay relevant for a bit. And to everybody who listened, thank you. We will talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye.